Hello, and welcome to the first episode of Midnight Movie Marauders. I'm George Dahl. I'm Cameron Devan. Uh, Cameron and I here are freshman undergraduate. Oh, God damn, we're not freshmen. We're undergraduate. Undergraduate. Uh... <laughs> undergraduate film studies majors here at the University of Iowa. Yeah, you're a, you're a senior. I'm, I'm a, a senior, senior, right? You're junior. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it is a beautiful Thursday afternoon in Iowa City. We've got some beers going here. Yeah. What are you drinking? I'm drinking uh, Budweiser. Oh, I'm on edge. You know oh I mean? my God! Cameron has got his <laughs> ice, ice house, ha- ice house edge. Yeah, you know, a dollar yeah. seventy-five at your uh, local come and go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so today, uh, this is our first ever episode. We're about three days out from uh, Halloween, yeah. so we decided to talk about uh, horror films, and we decided to pick one specific horror film, and that's Nightmare on Elm Street. And this is the uh, pattern that all of our shows are going to follow from now yeah. on. We're going to pick one film, we're going to talk, and then through that lens of that film, we're going to talk about... You know, uh, we're going to definitely expound upon anything that we think is exceptional. We're going to pick themes, you know, techniques or narratives, anything that we want to talk about, really. So... That's, I think you put that really well. And today we're going to talk about the genre of horror in general, and we're going to talk yeah. about dreams and the subconscious. So, first off, let's get to talking about our movie. From Wes Craven, director of The Hills Have Eyes, and Last House on the Left, a new masterpiece in fantasy terror, Nightmare on Elm Street. Nightmare on Elm Street, 1984, Wes Craven. Yeah. We've got a bunch of kids in Los Angeles in the 80s whose dreams are being stalked by a killer named Freddy Krueger. Yeah. If she fails... I'm your boyfriend now, Nancy. No one will survive. When you talked about earlier your admiration for the uh, the concept of the film, the dream concept. Do you know where Wes Craven got this idea? No. He read it in the he read an article in the newspaper. Apparently, this is a real thing. Maybe we'll get into this when we learn about when you bring up all your research you've done on dreams yeah. later. But he read an article about I think they were uh, French Polynesian immigrants to America who had escaped from Vietnam. They escaped from the Vietnam conflict and whatever was happening in Korea and et cetera. And um, the kids were having terrible, terrible nightmares. And there was about like four cases of this. And they tried to stay up and drink coffee and et cetera, and they couldn't do it. And they were finally given sleeping pills, and then uh, they died in their sleep after complaining about wow. horrible dreams. I mean, the, the idea for Nightmare came uh, when I was in a coffee shop, and I had just... Uh been reading an article about somebody who had had a bad nightmare and had tried to stay awake for three days and then had fallen asleep and had died in his sleep in the middle of another nightmare. And it suddenly hit me in a coffee shop. That would make a great movie. And that seemed uh, totally bizarre to me. And everyone tells that story in conjunction with the film, like on the audio commentary, etc. But yeah. I, what is the... Is there any sort of scientific explanation for this? Any sort of scientific explanation? For dying in your sleep for no other real cause other than you're having a terrible nightmare and just extreme stress? I mean, what the hell is happening to you? I mean, I don't know any kind of scientific explanation, but I knew, though, in the film, our uh, lead heroine, uh, what's her name, Nancy? Nancy. She says, I, I forgot the prayer, let me... Oh, yeah. Before uh, I wake... Let, pray to God my soul to we'll take. take. And if, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's an old nursery rhyme. Yeah, that her. nursery rhyme. I think... Um, he, Wes Craven may not even have known the scientific basis or any kind of foundation to expound upon that, but I do know that he took that idea and embodied that in the film with, with that prayer. Yeah. And you know, we're film studies majors. We know for a fact that every little thing in a film is meaningful. Sure. And a film, even if the film sucks. Do you, do you think they're meaningful in the way that the director intended that they'd be in it or they're meaningful just for their social context? No, I think a lot of the times they're unintentionally meaningful. When I was younger and I was, I was fourth grade, I did a little uh, presentation on Spike Lee. Initially, I thought the director had his hands on everything. And in a sense, he does. But he's really more so facilitating everything. Yeah. And there's people in their own different fields, you know, going at things. And I think that the director was just kind of that over. Sets the mood. Yeah, he sets the mood. And yeah. so in the in regards to Nightmare on Elm Street, I think he just set th- set the mood. And I think unintentionally things fell went their place. Way. Yeah, yeah. fell the place. Yeah. Um, so your initial reaction to the film? Um, I thought okay, I thought it like was it. good. I thought it was great. But obviously the acting was 80s. Yeah, you, and, you know what, I'll tell you what though, it's better than a lot of other slasher films you see, like... Oh, a lot better, but then again, you can tell that, you can tell that this kind, of, this film kind of set the tone. Yeah. It made me, like, a lot of the films after this kind of had this same sort of uh, formula, 
Is that the word you use? Well, actually, I'll tell you. This is interesting. Or is there films before that? Oh yeah, I mean because the original, oh, okay. the original, like the teenagers come and this, then they yeah, smash and then yeah. Okay. The, this the slasher film, I think, and people probably disagree with me, but um, started with Halloween. That formula, you could say. When did that come out? Seventy eight. Um, now you could say started with the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which oh, is okay. still seventy four, which is still a genuinely terrifying movie because it just looks so cheap. The film stock, the film stock, I think is. I think they made. A, I don't think they shot in sixteen millimeter, but it was something, you know. And it didn't look great, but there's yeah. good filmmaking there. And um, it's so terrifying just because it looks so old and grainy. I think the oh, the, yeah, the original yeah. negative has has let has been uh, it's deteriorating, and yeah. so the movie looks creepy and it looks like a documentary. And there's some terrifying moments in that movie, but there's no sex. There's no um, teens. Playing around, yeah, which is the which is the hallmark of the slasher film, which yeah. started with Halloween. Yeah, teens like running aimlessly through the house, like yo, what's going on? Oh, and, yeah, 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 yeah. Things yeah. Of that so, nature. and this is interesting. And uh, so there's Halloween, and then there was uh, uh, Friday the Thirteenth. Okay. Was after that in eighty. I haven't I haven't seen that film in. There, a long you know what time. the thing about it is? Either of them. Really. Jason's an iconic villain, but those movies they're just not worth watching. They're not good. And that's where Nightmare on Elm Street kind of yeah it takes the a, same little. Hallmarks, but Freddy is very villainous. He's very obscure yeah. and very kind of in the shadows. But then again, once when it once it gets the second, the third, the fourth, the fifth, sixth films, and then you have this own television show, he gets kind of comedic. He becomes and it like, takes yeah. away. He and so I kind of think that me personally, I'm not watching this film and its pure essence as as much as it was intended, I as Wes Craven intended, because. Me growing up, and, and you know, in the two thousand six or whenever two thousand seven in the two thousands, whatever. Yeah, there was the Nightmare on Elm Street TV show on the Chiller Channel. You know that show? That channel? No, I didn't know. There was a channel devoted completely to scary stories and television, and the Nightmare on Elm Street uh, show was on there, and it was not scary at all. It was almost funny. TV show, A Nightmare on Elm Street, the series. Freddy's Nightmares. And so I think knowing that, going into watching this film, it took away. You've been diluted by the iconography yeah. of the of the Freddy. Yeah, yeah. Because in this film, yeah, he's he's creepy, he's there, but I've only seen number three. I've seen number one, number you three. You see Freddy versus Jason? No. That was I know, so he's probably just funny. Like, he's just like a cut up gag. He's like, was yeah, I'm gonna get you. You know, that yeah, kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, he's tripping. Yeah, Where yeah. he's always like he's got something. I remember in number three, there's so many elaborate ways in which he kills people. You know, yeah. and he, he sucks somebody into a TV. He yeah. at one point he pulls the veins out of somebody. Yeah. And, and he works him like a puppet. It's very yeah, it's, and it's you know, gruesome. But it's but it's that's what sets it apart from from something like Friday the Thirteenth, which is just wanting. They just stab him. They just get stabbed, and Jason stabs you, and yeah. There's a maybe. There's the argument that uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. I keep wanting to say Freddy. That's yeah, how that's, that's that, that, you said the iconography. He he has surpassed the street that he haunts. No, but uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. I want to believe that um, this is one of the first films, or one yeah, like one of that kind of took horror in a different direction into gore that maybe kind of inspired films like Saw or maybe like yeah. Hostel mm-hmm. or, you know, those really ingenious films that really took gore to be its main premise. Like, doesn't matter what the plot is, doesn't matter who the characters are, doesn't matter the acting, just just focus on how people die. Do you like those movies? What, Hostel? Saw and Hostel and stuff? The first one's good. Okay, I've never seen any of them. Never seen, you never I seen just, I just get deterred because I just I don't the like first to one's see good. just just people um, getting yeah I don't like to just just see butchery. I have a hard time watching some horror films. You know the 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 hostile uh, genre, gornography or torture porn. <laughs> yeah, torture yeah. porn. I just have a hard time with it. But I, I must say I forced myself to see hostile, and uh, I remember I just don't want to watch people being tortured, but the film didn't just do that. It had some very interesting character things, yeah. some great action things. And a good director, a good storyteller will not just do that. And I think if somebody just does, does that, then then they are doing it some sort of a violence porn or whatever. And I think a good horror director is talking about, you know, the primal fears and, and uh, if you want to be honest about talking about those things, you have to get down to the nitty gritty about fear and things people do to each other. I, I don't... I, I, you know what? Also, the part of it is, too, I'm, I'm too... I'm scared to watch it. Well, listen. Um, I know for uh, I just fact. kind of... that Just... 
Well, you know, have you ever heard of the futurist, the futurism, that I, that art theory? Yeah, sure. There was a lot of time, like in the 20th, 20th century, you know, around World War II, World War One. there was a lot of art depicting very graphic and violent scenes of warfare. Right. And they're spawned upon this, like this futurist ideal or this futurism in which they said, okay, the, the, the war is wrong, people dying is wrong, but there is an art within that. Okay. And so, take yeah, so taking that theory or taking that ideal and placing on horror films, maybe uh, Hostel, Hostel 2, Hostel 3, whatever, even though everything else is horrible, everything else sucks, maybe so the art, yeah, yeah, maybe the genius comes in on how the people die and how right. people are getting just slaughtered. And I don't, I don't want to say, <clears throat> like, it's hard to say, say because I do remember, like, in, at, when I, I told you I went to Kirkwood, right, there was yeah. a film professor I had who said, oh, I don't want to watch Quentin Tarantino. I don't want to watch anything with blood, excess blood. And so there are people who are kind of intentionally disassociated with that type of, those type of films. Wes Anderson, wa- no, sorry, Wes, Wes Craven walked out of Reservoir Dogs screening when they wow. cut the ear off the police officer. Well, for what reason? He, he said he didn't like sadistic violence for that in that way. And I, I think that's a bizarre and kind of confusing he quote. sounds like a hypocrite. He, yeah, exactly. I agree. But he says he, he tries to present it in a way that makes you fearful and makes you disgusted, and he doesn't try to portray it for fun. But go ahead with what you're saying, which I would disagree. I think that a lot of things in Nightmare on Elm Street are really fun. Yeah. You know, because they're just so creepy and when he, crazy. When he... When he when Freddy cut his gut and maggots and he had and maggots came out and green blood and insects, what narrative purpose did that fulfill? I don't know. Essentially what I'm saying is that maybe in regards to horror films in now in our era, because you don't really see a lot of good horror films. Uh no. But maybe it's really just about depicting that gore that, and an artistic you know what? Val- with an artistic value. I think that because I really do appreciate that kind of thing. Especially in older films from the '80s, I just watched *The Howling*, Joe Dante's werewolf movie, oh, never and it's just it. a joy to watch people turn into werewolves and get exploded. And um, movies like *The Thing*, John Carpenter's *The Thing* is just oh, like, when it came yeah. out, it was just derided by critics because they're like and now this, the classics. Roger Ebert said it was a cinematic barf bag because it was just so outrageous. But and it well, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, yeah. Let me just interrupt you real quick because I I don't know if you were I was talking with you about this but definitely Roger Ebert gave a three out of four for Gothica. Were we talking about that? I've never seen Gothica. Bro, that movie is utter garbage. Oh, right. That movie's trash. Here's the thing: I usually disagree with Roger Ebert, but I love reading his stuff. No, R.I.P. By the way, R.I.P. You know, yeah, exactly. God bless the dead. But how long has he been dead? Three years? Yeah, yeah, something like that. Have you ever heard of the Grand Guinol? No. <laughs> what the, the hell is the that? The Grand Guinol, which is something that comes up when you read about horror. It was a uh, theater, an, an outskirts theater in Paris in the late uh, 18th century, or sorry, late 19th century, where they had elaborate, uh, they had just plays with simplistic revenge stories where they had elaborate gore and murder and rape and all sorts of other lascivious actions. In the 30s? No, it's in the 19th century, so in the late 1800s. Oh. So, and it was shut down. They were, they were, you know, people tried to censor them all the time, but they would have little plays where scientists would, like, you know, rip people open, and they would just have intense blood and gore and violence. 19th people, century, this, and people went to see it. Oh, yeah. No, so, it was a small kind of cult following, and it was kind of, you know, sexual violence or whatever, mm, but this kind of thing has been around. That's what I always, and it was always that's like, what I always try to tell people. It was always kind of torture and sadism, you know, disguised yeah. as, like, drama, but it was always extremely bloody. Exactly. You know, you make a good point because I always try to tell people like the people seem to feel like this sort of gore is new. Yeah. And it's only and like this emergence of Look bloody violence. It's only new. Bosch I'm, painting. Have you ever who? heard of Hieronymus Bosch? Who's that? It's hard to explain, but his paintings are totally bizarre. I'll show you. After Wait, yeah, yeah, yeah. Does he have that painting where the man is is his beast eating something? The, I maybe you're thinking of. Um, Oh, what's his name? I can't think of it right now. But uh, uh, Saturn Devours His Son by... Uh, well, anyway. He was a Spanish painter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's a Spanish painter. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. I'll think about. of it, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, he's not. He was a... I think he was a Dutch... Hieronymus Bosch was a Dutch painter in the 1600s. And he yeah. painted like... He, he painted essentially what his vision of was for hell. 
which is just um, a lot of it was very carnivalesque and a lot of like weird go- creatures running around and gory images and people cutting ears with scissors and oh, yeah it was it was just uh, oh the Francisco de Goya is the yeah yeah, yeah de Goya de Goya yeah yeah, 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 yeah Francisco de Goya yeah, yeah. we talked about a lot but I know for a fact I don't know if we've talked about the writing because this we Wes Craven is ingenious the wall scene. Oh, that's oh, the, yeah. That is the best scene in the film. Do you think, I think. so? I think that's the best because okay. think of it's it's deep because it's something that I've been kind of this like thinking about and battling within myself the entire film I was watching is like whether or not the cinematic value of the scenes depicting the nightmare play into or take away from the nightmares themselves. For instance, does Nancy, while she's sleeping in the bed, realize that someone is going over her, like yeah. through the wall? Like, does she really? Is that a part of the dream? Does she know, know? That or is that just the cinematic? Value? That was something interesting too, because I thought it was an interesting notion. You know what I mean? In the film, sometimes yeah. you you cannot tell. Does if, that take away or give? You know, because I know I think I know what you're getting at is that people don't realize when they're dreaming sometimes, so there's a claustrophobia about. Yeah, so are maybe they in a dream right now, or are they not? Maybe we have like yeah. a different angle. We are uh, this just the spectator. The spectator, because that scene is is really it's I love dope. it. But I think dope. the most what do you think? The most compelling and frightening scene is when Tina uh, dies. So Tina is chased by Freddy in her dream. Okay, you got and one. Oh, when she, yeah, when Tina, you're first truly introduced. So the first, okay. the first yeah, murder yeah, okay. that Freddy Krueger commits is of Tina, and she's in bed with Rod, and she starts flailing about in her dream. Now, obviously, no one can see that Freddy's attacking her because Freddy exists in the dream, but in the real world, she's being affected, and she begins to flip up the wall, and and she defies gravity, and is being stabbed, and it's just incredibly bloody and terrifying. And And for 1984, that must have been. And and Rob stands and and looks by, and it's it's, it's really And it really, and I, I think that's what you say is dope, because up until this point, Rod is depicted as this very tough guy, and then and during that scene, he's in the corner, balled up. He can't like, do anything. What, what am I? What's going on? And he's screaming. He's yeah. out of his mind. And so, yeah, you actually have a point, and I think that is the introduction has to be strong. It was. It's and it was strong because Freddie he was. You're scratching the walls, and then he had like the Mister Fantastic the thing going arms. on. I don't think yeah. that works as well. They're, yeah, they're, it look kind of look kind of cheap, but it's the eighties. But it's, it's something. 80s. I think that like that's so fun because Freddie isn't such a. He's a more engaging character than Michael Myers. Or no, I love Michael Myers, and Michael Myers is interesting. He's totally different. He's trying to do something different than Freddy. He's, Michael, yeah, it's completely. But uh, at least with Freddy, you have dialogue. Yeah, and Freddy is he's out of his mind. So you can see in this film the seed for what becomes a franchise that where Freddy is the hero. He's yep. a goofball, yep. and he yep. just he's, he kind of talks smack to everybody. Yep. So you you end up not really caring about your main characters, and you end up rooting for Freddy because he's so mm, he's so okay. charismatic. You're right. Yeah. And I think after this movie, um, horror kind of takes a, a nosedive towards we just we just go to the theater to see the killer kill. Oh, so kind of this like in uh, Halloween, you went to see ooh. Halloween to see a situation. You say, I hope Jamie Lee Curtis gets out of this and doesn't die. But then in the other films, you think, I hope. Or you know, sometimes the characters are so annoying and poorly written. You're like, Freddy, yeah, yeah, just yeah. I hope Freddy gets rid of this guy because yeah. it's he's done. You know. So you have you heard of the uh, the cinema of attractions? You know what I mean? Yeah. Where uh, the spectacle is what the viewer is attracted horror to. Horror is completely horror. cinema of attractions. And okay, before we dive into the theme, Who, who's of the, the writer of cinema of attractions? What's that guy's name? I forgot his name. Damn, Damn me too. Damn. Damn. And we're, we're students, all right? Excited, it doesn't matter. Excited it doesn't matter. a paper once. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Cinema of Attractions. Like I love Look it up, article. viewers. Let us know. That and Andrew Saris is our tour theory, or two of my favorites. Yeah, that yeah. and in Bazan. But anyway. Oh, okay. Yeah, but um, uh, the Cinema of Attractions, I think, in regards to horror, yeah. in regards to that the, what I just said earlier, like this, the gore is the spectacle. Like, you go to see people just die. You don't look for narratives. Is That then becomes... Or evolves into a question as to whether or not this is good or bad for the horror genre. Because at one point in time, horror wasn't just all about people getting slashed and cut up and dying. It was really a narrative and a, like a it was rise and fall. There was, was about, there was a climax. There was never just die, just die, die. You 20 minutes mean? of, Like you know, people just yeah, smashing and, it, and then people... It ends up becoming just 20 minutes of... 
you know, whatever. We got to see some plot. Yeah, and then there's kill, and then 20 more minutes. People go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was Listen. about suspense. And that's yeah, Alfred yeah. Hitchcock was the maven of horror. When exactly. It was about exactly. Well, you know what? He's not. He doesn't get off here because he invented. He created Psycho, which is the ancestor to all these slasher films. The ancestor. It is. I think what do you mean Psy- the Psycho. Like, I think is the first. The first the slasher first? film. Yeah. Because there's a scene. There's an article by. Uh, well, what, oh, so not not horror, but slasher. Because you got no no oh, oh, oh yeah, I'm talking. You're I'm talking, talking about slashers. Because uh, Nightmare on Elm Street is a slasher movie, and I think Psycho yeah, is the yeah, first yeah. slasher. So okay. in case the audience isn't familiar, there's there's horror, and of course there's a lot of different subgenres in horror. There's gothic horror, which is something like Dracula, Frankenstein, Guillermo del Toro's Crimson Peak. And then oh, you got that right on your. I just what, watched was it that, last was night. Was it good? Yeah, it's a great movie. Damn, okay, I love I it. It's, it's really fun. It's, I'm, it's I'm gonna great. check that you out. Like Guillermo del Toro. Yeah, I like the um the Pan's Labyrinth. That's yeah. All right, go on. There's, of course, subgenres. So there's gothic horror. You've got uh, suspense horror. And then the most popular is slasher horror. Yeah. So that's – there's a bunch of people. Makes in the most a, money. Yeah, there's people in a situation and there's a killer. So you've got Prom Night, Halloween, yep. uh, My Bloody Valentine, yep. Scream, yep. A Nightmare on Elm Street, which are some of the more famous versions yep. of it. Uh, I Know What You Did Last Summer. Yep. The list goes on and on. That 2000s, that, you know, screen, that whole but 2000 era really yeah. – cultivated it and, really and was just like you know what let's just both, go ahead yeah and we've both seen psycho and yeah. uh in psycho you have a slasher situation this is that there's an uh, an author kaja silverman who comes up with this um idea of cinematic suture and mm. lack and um we talked about this in one of my video game courses with chris gates and um we use psycho as an example in class to where after marion crane the uh uh, what's her name? What's the actress's name? <sighs> Janet Lee. Ungar would know. Ja- Jan- yeah, yeah, yeah. Janet Lee. Yeah. And which is uh, also a fun fact. Janet Lee is the uh, mother of Jamie Lee Curtis, who was the star of Halloween. Wow. Yeah. Okay. But uh, Jan- facts. Facts. Yeah. Yeah. All right, okay. all right, all right. But Janet Lee, after she's killed off halfway through the film, and the audience is left grasping for a raft of of, of, of main character to hold on to, we have yeah. nothing. Yeah. We have that sequence where where Norman Bates collects her stuff, cleans up the murder. And so in that sequence, when we've given no one else to identify with, we identify with, with the killer. Yeah, and so okay. there's this, we suture ourselves uh-huh. to the narrative Anti-hero. in that way. Yeah, and so we say, well, if there's no hero, I'm just going to identify with the bad guy. So that eventually is what happens with slasher films. Is people start, start uh-huh. saying, I'm going to go to the theater to see the killer kill. I don't care if the people get away. I want to see. Yeah, so it, yeah. The, the producer or the director or the film company, whoever, is capitalizing more so off of the... Uh, the gory the, special effects, yeah, or just the the uh, killer rather than the victim. So Freddy becomes the star of the, the show, star. and he's charismatic mm. and he makes jokes. That and reminds so- me, yo, listen, that reminds. I guess that's not even like a horror thing. That's not even like a slasher thing. That's just a film thing. You go to a Will Smith, you go to a Tom Cruise movie. People yeah. aren't going to see the film. People or are going they, to see if Tom they Cruise do go to the film, they go Smith. because Tom Cruise is in. Yeah, most most often than not. Like if but, I was in Jack Reacher too, no one would say. Yeah, I, I haven't even seen the first one. Nobody. Yeah, I, I think Tom. I haven't seen a Tom Cruise Cruise film in. I, like, I I think he's all right. I like. Yo, him. he's all right, but he's just so he's the same. You know what the thing about Tom Cruise is? I I tend to want to stand up for actors that are maligned. People don't like him. Like Nicholas Cage. But, but are you but are you standing up for him just because people don't like him, or are you standing up because I don't know anymore. Nightmare. On Elm Street. Do you believe in the boogeyman? Um, no. This is what um, I think something where we can transition to on towards our dreams. Talking about dreams. dreams. Great. Two things, really. Yeah. I When I was watching this film, I thought to myself, everyone has a dream. And uh, within the film and in real life, a lot of people, more often than not, tend to deem them as meaningless. Sure. No, it's just a dream. Yeah. Doesn't mean nothing. A lot of the times. And then on top of that, um, Freddie in the film lets the victim believe that he or she may get away, but you know that he's in control of the entire dream. Yeah. It's a game. If you're there, you're in his realm. Yeah, yeah. He he's just letting you think you can run away, but it's his world, right? And so going to dreams, I just think that there's this polarization of theories of psychiatrists and psychologists, this polarization of theories and ideas and concepts where people either deem dreams as either meaningful or meaningless. Yeah. It really depends on the dreamer of the dream to to, decipher which 
how they want to go about that. But I know for a fact, I, not necessarily for a fact. Let me let me back up. Not for a fact, but I know that I believe that off of what I've read and researched and for this podcast that dreams mean something. And maybe more not in a sense of, oh, I'm going to have a dream and I'm going to know where to go tomorrow or I'm going to know how to lead my life. But it's more intact with our emotions. Our latent emotions. Our, yeah. Our, in a it, Freudian sense. Exactly. You know, um, you just brought up uh, Freud. He had this he had this theory, repressed longing. Yeah. You heard of that? No. Repressed longing. He says dreaming allows us to sort through unresolved repressed wishes. Humans construct dream stories after they wake up to make sense of it all. What I got from that was dreams, in essence, don't follow a narrative, Don't are not chronologically inclined to let the dreamer know what's going on. They're right. just this, that, there, fragments. then. Fragments. Perfect. Exactly. And so when the person wakes up, knowingly, we know this, the, view, the, the audience knows this, that Oh, what uh, I'm trying to re- what happened in my dream? I can't really remember. Most of the time we forget. Yeah. And so when a when a person does remember the dream, it's really just them trying to uh car- compartmentalize what happened and then just construe it all together and make a narrative out of it. Did you notice in the first in the opening scene when uh Tina's getting chased by Freddy and um we have just random sheep Walking around in Freddy's oh, boiler room no. as a reference to like she was counting sheep, and the sheep have wandered into this new narrative dream area. Wow! So you're right. He did try to incorporate yeah, that. And, and mm, you right. know what I think is interesting too is that I don't think anybody has we studied dreams and put so little emphasis on them and tried to pretend they don't matter. Yeah. And actually, if you guys are interested, there's a Chuck Klobsterman, the great essayist, just came out with a new book called And What If I'm Wrong, where he talks about how dreams have been marginalized and ways that we can mm-hmm. reevaluate them. But um, in movies about dreams, I thought about Inception also, not just because of the flipping up the wall scene. It's very similar to what we see. But I would argue that this is more introspective into dreams rather than Inception. Oh, yeah, because both of them, though, they don't treat dreams like we actually experience them. It's it's more of a linear thing. Linear. And And dreams aren't that linear. We don't think about them, and films haven't come up with a good way to portray dreams. And remember what I said earlier with the woman, not the woman, Freddie coming through the wall and then Nancy sleeping, and then you have the spectator view of the guy coming through the wall over Nancy. That's the the camera's view, the spectator's view, and that's not how a dream is. Uh, Sander Van Linden, he also says something really dope as well. He says that dreams are more often not related to our emotions, obviously, right? Not related to emotions? Our emotions. Oh, are related to emotions. Are. Okay. Dreams more often than not are related to our emotions. So, therefore, in regards to Freddy, I was thinking, so is... Like, uh, is well, angst passed down to the children? Oh, is angst. That's interesting. So I would say if I were a super conservative 1980s Nancy Reagan type cultural critic, I would say <laughs> that the angst of the kids stems from their – there's not a lot of drinking or drug use in this film. No, there's uh-uh. any, but there is – there is, ma- there's some sexuality. Yeah. And that was always – Something that people read into slasher films was: Are these kids being killed as retribution for their immorality, their premarital sex? Um, Is this so? People, people have criticized them for that. They're saying, why is it that kids who have sex are always ones dying? Or or is um, is there sort of people have have? um, I never thought about that. Yeah, it's predominantly predominantly a male-centric. Genre where men write and direct these films, yeah. and if you've seen a movie like Michael Powell's Peeping Tom, one of the also the original slasher films, there's a sort of phallic obsession with a knife and with the, put onto a knife, and murdering is sort of a sexual um, experience. Yeah. And there's been criticism of slasher films for being sexist and misogynistic in that way, and so I suppose you could say that there's that Freddy is um, angst for guilt about sexual trysts, but it could also be. Guilt for the sins of the father, which brings us to why Freddy Krueger in the film is described as being a filthy child murderer. Yeah, he's a say. murderer. He's yeah. not even a just. They don't just say molester. They say he's a murderer. murderer. But it, we can try to dig into the idea. There's that an implication, I suppose. But uh, murderer—that's all we have yeah. to go on. But yeah, and you, so the parents, you know, pulled a frontier justice kind of thing on him, and they killed him. Yeah. 
Lit up his whole... Lit up his house, burned yeah. him alive. That's why he's horribly burned. He doesn't yeah. wear a mask like Michael Myers or Freddy Krueger. He just no, has horrible he just, he just lit up. And so we have to imply that he's killing these kids as retribution for his... Basically, he's just, Freddy's what, just salty. Uh, what is it? Un- he's just salty. Unjust murder? Is yeah, he, it, is he, he upset he that he yeah. wasn't given a proper court date? I mean, yeah, okay. and he, it, it's an irrational saltiness. Like he's yeah. really mad. What do you mean by salty? Like he's just really upset that these parents came out and killed him, so he couldn't kill more people. So when he dies, I'm gonna come back and kill even more. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's really like he's upset. He's bitter. Bitter. What I mean. The character you know? of Freddy is based off an experience that Wes Craven had as a child. He was living in an apartment building, and a creepy old man in a weird hat like Freddy's walked by and looked up at him and like yelled at him, and then oh, ran inside. Goodness. Yeah, and then ran inside his apartment building, and his older brother chased him away with a baseball bat. I went in and pounded on my brother's door. He was ten years older than I was, and I said, "There's a guy. He's coming for me." And my brother literally went down with a baseball bat, and wow. the guy ran away. But the essence of that man was that he enjoyed terrifying a child and enjoyed sort of destroying the the comfort of innocence. So that's that became Freddy. And then, you know, intellectual again, a mask. I want a mask. Everybody's using masks, but I want them to be able to talk. What about a scar tissue? And that led into the, the fact that parents had burned him alive, and that's why he was in the other world. Even the colors were, were out of Scientific American. I read an article on the two most difficult colors for the iris or the retina to see next to each other were those two colors. So. Really? Yeah, so it was just, you know, it was a, it was kind of just a smart, smart hodgepodge of, of stuff, and then finding an actor who was brilliant and who could bring it to life. Um, also, Wes Craven, interesting cat, was, lived in a religious commune until he was 20 and wasn't allowed to watch movies. Wes Craven? Yeah. Yo, that's wild. Yes. When I, what I was reading in the Science Daily was people or the theorists kind of drawing a differentiation between nightmares and bad dreams. Okay. Which I thought, I mean, I thought a bad and a nightmare, or bad dreams and a nightmare was the same thing. But basically what they say, nightmares have a greater emotional impact and are not always, uh, fear is not always a factor. It's just you wake up and it. it's like it's an emotional impulse where you just kind of, I'm awake. Right, and a bad dream is more based off interpersonal connections. Okay, and where you may have like a like you can have a bad dream and then have a good night's sleep. Yeah, but a nightmare you wake up. Yeah, right. And so, uh, upon that, nightmares usually concern uh, uh, death or health concerns or uh, just threats oh. of any kind. Right. Really. And. Um, I thought that interest was interesting in relation to Nightmare on Elm Street because nightmares or dreams are a catharsis of daily life. And I thought that was interesting as well in regards I to agree. The, uh, the catharsis. Would it be of daily life or would it be? I feel like when you have oh, a dream, past life. It's like a past life. I don't know if I want to get into that. Reincarnation. Well, I mean like <laughs> it's like the, the Nancy or any of the characters in the film are having a catharsis of a past life. That their parents or the dead oh, children oh, lived. Oh, oh, okay, okay. Of a past crime. Of a past, you know, yeah, you know what I mean. Gotcha. I remember you talked to me about this one night. We were in uh, Mickey's bar. Um, oh yeah, I was... it was a theory that had to do with post-traumatic stress. Of post-memory. Who... Post-memory. Marianne Harrington. Marianne Harrington. She wrote this essay, and what she stated that the daughter or son of a survivor of the Holocaust could feel a trickle-down effect. A trickle-down traumatic effect of that of their father or mother that survived the Holocaust. So, an an example, they could pull out their drawer, their mother's or father's drawer, and see a picture of them or of anyone in the Holocaust and feel a sort of emotional connection, impact, or trauma off of seeing that picture because they know that in in a sense they are related to that trauma. Yeah, genetically, emotionally. Psychologically, it's in their history. It's, it's in their history. Yeah. It's in their blood, really. Right. Their parents went through that, and so when you think about that, and you take that to Nightmare on Elm Street, okay. In the film, Nancy, her mother was one of the people who burned down Freddie's joint, right? And you notice that Nancy's mother has no choice but to just self-medicate with yeah, she's just drinking. She's drinking. All and, and, you know, you know, and okay, these are some plot holes, but the, the literally the, the house is literally. Going up in flames. Yeah. And she's and the mom's just chilling upstairs. Right. And police come through. I'm like, yo, you can't be. Are you really, are you that really pretty drunk? Yeah. <laughs> are you that drunk? What do you have in there? 
Uh, yeah, literally. So um, get me some of that, Nancy's mom. And so, but basically, how about this? In essence, what I've really got from these films, or no, from my research, is that in regards to night for, uh, nightmares, confrontation is the best uh, approach to getting rid of nightmares. And and you see in the film, that was how she got rid of Freddy. So it makes me feel like Wes Craven definitely knew what he was doing. He's worked out. He, he worked something out. Confrontation, he, not even in dreams or nightmares, in life. Yeah. Like, you, if you have a fear or an obstacle, if you just confront it or you just go up and be like, yo, what? Yeah, it was good. Like, you'll probably surpass it or jump over it or get rid of it. Wes Craven talks about his upbringing in the commune hmm. where he was an ex- extreme uh, form of Christianity. And he says um, in an interview I watched that he could understand the rage that is in an Islamic extremist. He goes, because oh. it's, it's, an ex- it's an anger brought about by um, being deprived of having natural emotions. So you have no, you can't smoke, you can't drink, you can't have sex. Like an angst. Like an angst, and he goes, "I still have rage from this repressive um, or oppressive upbringing of mine." Mm. And he goes, "Probably that probably comes so, out in my so maybe it comes out." In so what you're saying, yeah. the most oppressed have the most angst, have this. They yeah. need an outlet. They need an outlet. And he, he said he could understand why there would be suicide bombers because they're just mm. so. He can empathize up. you. He can, yeah, emp- okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Something that I also got that I thought was really intriguing was that people who, on average, are most prone to have nightmares, people who have the most nightmares on most occasions are either suffering from a mental illness or disability, you know, schizophrenia, schizophrenia, or things of that nature, or they're just really open and organic to their emotions. They're really able, like they're really, uh, you know how people are closed off? You know, they don't want to express themselves. They're expressive. Yeah, Yeah, people have no, the people who have the most nightmares are rarely, like, rarely closed off. And what I said earlier, like, nightmares and emotions are connected. So when you're, and so when you have just a really strong relationship with your emotions, you're not afraid to express them or confide in them, then the nightmares just come in hand in hand. You know what I mean? Really? So when you're more open and ex- and um, not necessarily accept- just accepting really- of your emotions not necessarily accepting but just organically or you have self-knowledge about how you are in life yeah. and you have more nightmares that way I would feel like if the more On you repress I mean, not nec- your emotions the more you'd experience nightmares. no because what because nightmares are of emotional response when you have a nightmare you wake up that's yeah. what is when's the last time you had one What's time I had one? What's time I had one? Dog, I don't even remember. I've had years. I've had a nightmare. Yeah, and so, long time. and yeah. honestly, are we? I, I know I'm not really in touch with my emotions. Are you? I'm not really hardcore. I don't know about emotions. I, I suppose I'm in touch with. Touch are with you my though? Emotions. Are I don't know. I, my my in t- being in touch with my emotions is a constant game of second guessing myself. If I'm feeling mm. the so right thing, so then you're not thing. right. If you're second guessing, well, I just wonder. I'm like, is this? If I'm feeling something, I go, is this the right way to feel, or about the situation? Is this is not. this the correct way to feel? You're not. Then. then no. You can't be if you're in second guessing. The people who are in touch well, I, are I really to, just. I try to make sure that I make sure that I'm processing things in in a way that that makes sense, in a, in a positive way. But emotions, you can't second. You can second guess an idea, a concept. But you can't second guess an emotion. I think you should, though. I think you should. An emotion? So say somebody it's bumps. It's a reaction. Yeah, but say somebody bumps into you on the bus. Okay. Is it more healthy and productive for you to say, I hate that person. They must have bumped into me because yeah. I, there's something wrong with me. Maybe they bumped into me because they hate me. Yeah. Or is it more productive to say, he probably just accidentally bumped into me. I'm going to go on with my day. So when I have... It depends. You're right. It depends. So, so sometimes I have a reaction where I think something and I go, is this exactly what... This person intended no, 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 to do. No, no, no. But listen, but listen. What is the situation? But listen, you process this in a, in a productive way. I think that you should base your verbal and or physical reaction re, reaction off of how you feel intrinsically emotionally. How you know can that mean? be positive? There's, there, bro. There's an intrinsic emotion in regards to anything that you are confronted with in any instance. But then, I mean, that would and you know sanction, it, and you would, know that it. would sanction you know like it. retributive murder, though. I'm not saying sanction it. Because you would understand say, hey, it, man, if understand you're, if you're feeling, not justification. Okay, understand. Understand. I mean, it, it, that would be like saying, hey, if you're feeling anger, then I suppose any recourse you have is... No, but yo, listen, like, what? Crime and punishment. You, I've not read it. Oh. I don't know. Well, anyways, like, it's it, it's like he go in the novel, he definitely goes on describing why this man... Who? 
Raskolnikov in the film oh. murdered these two pawnbrokers in this apartment and right. you understand why he did it and you understand the reactions he had right. out of this emotional angst but you did so the emotion yeah. always almost bro listen but always that, the emotions a, are justified the emotions are is that a positive way reaction. to conduct yourself within a society though. the reactions no but the emotions are not necessarily positive or negative They're so you have to there. understand them right you know what I mean? But you have to okay, but I feel like it's it's become it's um, beholden upon a person feeling these emotions to try their best to channel them in a non-destructive way. Yeah. Because if you came to me and you said, "Hey, like I killed two pawnbrokers," yeah. like that's that's my like yeah, the character like, right, who, wrote, who wrote Dostoevsky, uh, Fyodor Dostoevsky. Okay, it, like the Dostoevsky book. I did this. I would say, why didn't you just? You know, if they wronged you, why don't you just go to the police? Yeah, why you didn't you? Why, did, why didn't you do this? Why and didn't you do that? You and you're say, retracting off yeah, of you your own say, emotions. Well, you, and you, you, you should have understood my emotions. I'd be like, well, it's just not a, a, a feasible way to like, live with like this society. I, hey, yeah. listen, like I said though, your emotions may be more similar, but the reactions are different. You know what I'm saying? The reactions aren't justified. The emotions are, and like the reactions, reactions is a completely different field of psychological science that I can't ex- like oh, talk I have, about. I have no. But the emotions. I have. I have yeah, have but no, the emotions. What I'm saying in regards to I have no dreams. Discussing. Uh, and there are a lot of yo. Listen, dream sequences in films and literature are uh, very present. Yeah. Vertigo. You seen that, right? Oh yeah. It's an integral part. I mean, we won't talk about that much for the podcast, you know, audience. But man, we don't know if they've seen it. But okay. there are a lot of instances. See Vertigo. Yeah, see Vertigo. But there's Hitchcock's a lot. most challenging film, I think. Exactly. But there are a lot of films and any kind of other mediums that use dream sequences to explain how the character is feeling emotionally. You're right. It's almost always that, yeah. or a premonition. Yeah. It's either and a premonition or a. It's a way of explaining how the character feels. Exactly. So maybe, um, yeah. I, For some reason, the only, the only dream sequence that's coming to me right now is um, Adam Sandler's in Happy Gilmore when he has to go to his happy place. Or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever seen that film? Yeah. Okay. When he goes to his that happy was good, place. but look, it, like, it shed light. And then when he's having a hard time and his happy place gets disrupted by Shooter McGavin. Ooh, <laughs> yeah. you, just made me, you just made me think of something really interesting. So maybe in essence... Night, the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise is one of the only films, television series, whatever, to use dream sequences as not something, not uh, uh, a a technique to shed light on any of its main characters. Yeah, other films do that all the time. Yeah. Literature, magazine, anything. Yeah. But Freddy Nightmare on Elm Street, they didn't. Use the dream sequences to shed light only in regards to eh, maybe the, in, in regards to emotional trauma, but the, not into like motives or what they wanted to do or what they wanted to be. I think it's the first film to use dream sequences as a way to stage set pieces. It treats the dreamscape like a playground in which to stage horrific or exciting events. Hmm. All right. Yeah. yeah. That was a productive conversation. I really enjoyed that. But now we're going to move on to part three. We're going to talk about horror films in general, and I think it's going to bring us back to the subconscious, too, because we're going to talk about why people like to watch horror films and why certain things scare us. I've had people ask ask me a lot, especially people that don't like horror, why would anybody pay to go into a film, into a theater to be scared? And I say they don't go to a a theater to, to have fear put into them. They go into a theater to have fear taken out. Life is scary, and it's, you know, it's... uh, Life pay, plays for keep, and you'd end up dying at the end. Mm-hmm. And along the way, there are lots of things that can kill you. And um, that causes a great amount of anxiety. And we kind of sit on it and mask it and everything else. But we need to deal with it in some way. What you need to do is you need to face the reality, even though it's painful. Nancy and Nightmare on Elm Street. Everybody wanted to deny that Freddy existed. She was the one person that saw him, knew he was real, and dealt with it. And that, I think, is a very positive um, message and story. And it's one that goes all the way back to Odysseus and, and many of the stories of David and Goliath. I mean, you know, he's facing a monster. Come on. You know, it's horror movies that are throughout the Bible. So it's like I, I'm always amazed actually people react to them so negatively, uh, or so many people do. So what I wanted to talk about initially was um, what do you look for in a horror film? Do you like them? And if you do... What what makes what is the aspect of a horror film that draws you to it? Like, I'll, you want me to go first? I'll give you an example. You go first. So, in a horror film, I really like atmosphere. 
That's why I'm drawn to films Atmos- like Oh, Atmos- Atmosphere. I thought your name, the title. The, the, okay, okay. Okay, so Atmosphere. Like, like, what do you mean? What do you mean? Like in a film like Crimson Peak, the atmosphere is almost more important. The costumes, the locations, mm. the general mood and mise-en-scene mm. of the piece, right? So you have a film like Halloween. Halloween, it's very important to set an atmosphere of it's Halloween. Mm. It's so important, in fact, that when they shot it in the summertime, they had a whole crew working to spray paint green leaves brown so they could throw them on the streets so it would look like fall. An atmosphere in any film is important, is it not? Oh, yeah, I think it's, but I think, I think that I put. You think it means more in a horror film no, than I, other I films? Don't, I don't, I'm not saying that this is a way to judge horror films, is it? If you, but I'm saying what I'm drawn to in a horror film. Yeah. So someone could say, what I like in a horror film is really great acting. But that's not what I want. What I like uh, in a horror film... Got the Hitchcock perspective. Yeah, what I really like is atmosphere. Because I feel like um, if you have a film that's just like... What I really like in a horror... If someone said to you, what I really like is just set piece gore sequences. Then what I would then say to you... Then Hostel would be there. Yeah, but then, there's, then I'd say all you should do is just go on YouTube and search best gore scenes in Scanners, head exploding oh. scene, right? So they, don't, they wouldn't need the entire they film. They just want to see the... Yeah, oh. so... But I okay, think the atmosphere okay. is important, and how about you? What do you think? What do I think is important in a yeah. film? In a horror film? Um, what I think is important in a horror film in regards to what I've seen lately yeah. is techniques or... Uses usage of techniques or whatever that are unconventional. I think trying to switch it up is the most por- important thing you could do in a horror film today in 2016. So a death angle, not even bro. Any yeah, I suppose yeah. Switching the angle up that would, uh, I su- I suppose supplement what I'm saying, but in a general sense, like there every horror film I watch, even the good ones are all. This, the jump scares, I don't... There's, yeah, there, it, it's just... It's, it's too much. It's, it's cheap. cheap. It's cheap. I can shoot a fire. I can just come and like pop off a fire. And you know what? I can't yeah. even bl- blame the director on this because I know the producers are like, this is what we want. Yeah. And the director's takes, like, oh, all right, fine, whatever. It takes absolutely no skill no. whatsoever to scare someone with a jump scare. No, it doesn't. What's, what, you so don't even not, have to set a tone. That's why atmosphere. I appreciate atmosphere. You know what I mean? It, the atmosphere keeps you on edge. Yeah. Because you're saying, okay, there's something happening here, you know. Listen, and then don't get me wrong, though, because there are convention, there are, like, set-in-stone film cinematic conventions that I really agree with. But in regards to horror, I think that someone who is saying, you know what, let me just be ingenious, like, in regards to Wes Craven in 1984, nobody's doing shit like that. Do something like that. Can we just come up with a concept Switch it up. just just frightening on its face. Just, yeah, just stop making Ouija board movie seven, like, or Paranormal Activity six, or I Saw agree. twelve. Yeah. like, switch it up. I agree because people have making are making the same movies, and these producers are in charge of the same franchise, but are just are right, this director, well, this director, this director, this director. If you're an upcoming producer, the best thing you can possibly do is make a horror film because yeah, it's going to get it's going to cost sh- you a million dollars, and be, you'll make fifty. Yeah, you know. It'll be a trash movie and people will go see it. They'll, they'll, they'll see it. Yeah. All you need, yeah. really, all you need to do, I feel like, and you know what? You know, okay, listen. The first Paranormal Activity movie, not necessarily original because you got uh, Blair Witch Project, yeah, right? But in regards to marketing and advertising, it was yeah. definitely monumental because it was the first advertising that I advertisement that I've ever seen of a film that showed the reaction of the audience. You remember that? Yeah, they do that all the time now. They yeah, just they show you how scary it is. Look first, how scary. The first paranormal activity it had the reaction of the audience in, in you know the green screen type. They shit. were in like a dark and they were like, room. oh wow, well for real, and it was it's real. They're watching oh. it with night vision goggles. Yeah, and they're like oh yeah, it, and that was very original. But you know why like they're, they're jumping though? Not because something is actually scary, but because. Someone stood by a bed and then went, ah, you yeah. know, and then they're like, oh, well, it's a loud noise, you know. Well. So it's it's either like these are the extremes of film, a yeah. horror film. In regard, I mean, yeah, you either have someone who's standing doing nothing or someone who's standing and doing the most. I don't know. It's just like either someone's standing near a table and they're just sitting there for twelve hours, or and then they jump or something. Yeah, or someone's just always going after you, chasing. There's no like narrative or development. It's always extremes. That's why I think Nightmare on Elm Street works too, because you have scenes yeah. where Freddy is a and you re- you realize that the genius of this film is that you don't need to develop him. It's no. the dream. 
Yeah. It's a, you don't need to develop a dream. No. That's the brilliance of this. And he can do this. anything. He can do, it's a dream. Yeah. When she was walking up the stairs and she was getting stuck in this goo or something. Yeah, so the, the stairs. You don't know what that is. Yeah. But it's. become like a marshmallow. Yeah. Yeah. And the stairs. You don't need to develop. Yeah. The, whoa, There's a wow. sequence in the movie in which Nancy is walking up the stairs trying to avoid Freddie and the stairs turn into marshmallow type liquid and she gets yeah. stuck. Which, because in a dream, anything can happen. Anything. Yeah. That's, that's the brilliance which, of, that's why I say this is ingenious. And it's also film. brilliant too because people tend to just throw Freddy in with Michael Myers or no, Jason. He's exceptional. It's totally though. different. He's an exception to the rule. It's a slasher film formula, but there's such there's so much more creativity put into yeah. the Freddy films. I mean think of the part when she's on the phone and his tongue comes out of the phone. <laughs> that was funny right? but like gross. It's gross. And so you have fear <laughs> yeah. so you have you have suspenseful fear. You've got fear of just the disgusting, his yeah. maggots, the yeah. centipede that comes out of the dead Tina's mouth, yeah. her in the body bag. You have yeah. so many beautiful, but I mean, beautifully disgusting and hideous images. Yeah. Whereas in modern horror films today, you just get like a cheap garbage plot with yeah. somebody screaming at you really loud yeah. and it scares you. So Stephen King lists the 10 key fears that underpin most horror writing and filmmaking. Fear of the dark. Yeah. Squishy things. Yeah. Deformity. Snakes, rats, mm-hmm. closed-in spaces, insects, death itself, and other people in fear for somebody else. So with that, I'm going to say, everybody, have a happy and safe Halloween. Wait, hold up. Okay, never mind. <laughs> yeah. On that, I would say that I just have to put this in. Snakes and rats. I would just say reptiles and mammals. What? It's like whales. Yeah. Whales, mammals. Why not? Moby Dick, yeah. Mongoose. If you're, think about it, if you're underwater in the vast ocean and a whale comes at you. It'd be fucking terrifying. It'd be terrifying. It'd be terrifying. I swear he'd like run into me and kill me. Like a big bus. Listen, you ever seen uh, the, the uh, what's the film with Shia LaBeouf where he's digging holes? Holes. Holes. <laughs> Yeah, on, you man. remember that little <laughs> reptile thing that was coming after him with the oh. with the oh, umbrella yeah, around yeah, his yeah, neck? Gila monster, like the one in Jurassic yeah. Park that kills Newman. Yo, that shit had me lit. But anyways, yeah, <laughs> okay, that's all I had to say. I had to tie that in because <laughs> mammals or any really any animal can be scarier. Scary. I, mean. I think what it really comes down to is motivation. Yeah, motive, in which. Yeah, that's everything. Right? So what I'm saying is don't get arrested on Halloween if you're drinking too much because what they'll do is they'll send you to a camp like Stanley Yelnats in Holes, the Shia yeah. Love character, yeah, 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 exactly. and they'll be forced Precisely. to dig holes. Yeah, um, like them clowns. The clowns phenomenon. You, you seeing that shit? Oh, yes. Well, listen, clowns? let me tell you something right now. Oh, World okay. Star Hip Hop has to do... Hey, I'm not going to go into depth. I just need to say this one thing, that these clowns are ridiculous, yo. Like, my sister... Or not my sister, my bad. My, uh, a friend of mine... Girlfriend. No, nah, no, nah, I'm... You got to mix up sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, ain't nothing wrong with it. No. <laughs> Alright, this isn't a bad Yo, you gotta cut all this Yeah, out. Happy Halloween, everybody uh, Watch a good movie And uh, I got too lit Happy All Saints Day as well